I just want to, I just want to open in prayer real quick. Let's all just intentionally just put our hunger before the Lord, right? We need something more than I got. That's a growing emphasis and reality in my heart as in the approach to the church that we've heard messages all our life. We live in freedom in America to hear teaching and exhortation and just nonstop information and so much good stuff. And that's the stewardship of and the, the place in the church to disciple and train and equip for good works. But there's just something about when Jesus takes something simple and he, he translates it to our heart, right? And that's what I'm after this morning. More than some intellectual ascent or some stimulating message or emotional or language, like another kingdom, right, that's even more real, more of a reality than this kingdom, coming in and resting in this place and in making known his heart to us. It's an ache in me. So I just want to pray. And if we could all just posture to hear this morning, he responds to hunger. Lord, we stand before you individually. We stand before you corporately. And Jesus, we just say... Lord, we don't need another nice message this morning. We need you. We want you, Jesus. We want you, Lord. I pray for that supernatural grace that brings us past human understanding. Lord, I pray that you would catch us up into that realm of impossible things becoming possible. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. God, where things that rest on our heart that prohibit us from running wholeheartedly after you and for you would have to be bowed low, God, in light of your nearness. Lord, would you come? And would you rest on this place, Jesus? Would you rest on my words, God? I pray that, Lord, your heart would come through the strongest. Lord, your words would find fertile ground in this place, Jesus. We've got to have it, Lord. We confess our need. We want you, Lord. We desire you. Amen. Amen. So... Last week we, I want to do a little snapshot of last week because I feel like it. last week and this week's message was initially just one message and uh, just because of some of the emphases that were on the worship and the time, we decided to kind of hone in on the first part of this message and I just want to kind of go back to that real quick and this idea that there has been this message uh, in the church at large that we've been hearing for years now of this consecrate yourself for today, for tomorrow the Lord is going to do great and mighty things among you. This idea that the Lord's positionally readying our hearts, our affections, our desires to be in alignment with His desires, His purposes. We're just that landscape of our soul. We are open-handed with everything that He's put into our hands. I, I was reminded this week as I was thinking about that message and where that first originated in me, and I remember we had just moved locations in Salem, and um, I was walking out of the bathroom one day, and the Lord just whispered to me out of the blue. And it's kind of how he does it with me. It's just something that wasn't on my mind anywhere near my thoughts, and just like this inward, audible whisper, this phrase. And he just simply said, Noah... I want to use you, but first I want all of you. And I was just like, man, I was pastoring at the time. The message in the church was wholeheartedness. We were running after him, but I just knew it wasn't this, this fearful thing. It was this invitation thing. And it struck me in such a way that I was just in tears by the nearness of the Lord on my heart in that moment, kind of like that fear of the Lord, the awareness that he was on what he said to me. And it wasn't a day, it wasn't a moment. I knew it was a, a seasonal invitation he was calling into in this idea of consecrate yourself today. There was a readying taking place because there was an inheritance into promise coming. 
Multiple times throughout the Old Testament, that was the word as they were on the edge of stepping into greater levels of stewardship and promise. He said, consecrate yourself, be ready yourself in that place of stepping into. That night I had a dream. And if you know me, that's one of the main ways the Lord speaks to me. He gives me these dreams and I don't dream super often. It's just when I dream, I feel like it's a dream that I can take away something from. This dream I shared at the beginning of this habitation thing a year ago, I believe that it points to prophetic promise for this region. I believe that the Lord was showing me a picture into the breakthrough that he desires for us in the Northeast. And in the dream, I'm walking into a bathroom, and that's a picture of purification, consecration, and I'm going to use a stall, and I'm I'm going to the bathroom, and in the corner of my eye, I notice a young man who's probably 13 years old, and he was scrawny, his clothes were ragged, he looked like he was no, you know, as I think about it now, no threat to me, but he had this dagger, and it was like eight inches long, and it was crooked, and he just looked at me with such anger and wanted to kill me, and in the dream at that point, I was so terrified of this young kid, even though I could have probably blew him over, he was literally like so frail, (laughs) I don't know. I can't think of anybody to compare him to. Probably wouldn't be good to do anyways, but (laughs) you get the idea. It was just like, you know, I'm not the biggest person myself, but it was just like, he shouldn't have been a threat. Even with that knife, it would just, would have been like my daughter Harvest trying to come at me with a knife. It would just been like, but in the at that point in the dream, right after going to the bathroom, I was terrified of that. And I ran and there was a door just like that in the side of the room. And I ran out the door and I just started running and very quickly I was on this mountainside just plowing up this hill, running as fast as I could. And I just totally forgot very quickly about this kid who was just chasing me. And all of a sudden, there was this overwhelming need or desire to get to the top of this mountain. And as I'm running, I'm running. And as I get up, I start to see like an increasing group of people on both sides that were sitting down on both sides of this path. And as I was going up, I'm looking at them like, and I had this awareness in my mind that they were once running this mountain path. They were once, that that edge I could see up in the distance, they were on that same path to go there. And as I went up, I started looking at their faces and I noticed this distinct thing. There was no words spoken back and forth, but I saw this thing on their face and it was the embodiment of pity. Like, if you only knew what caused me. And, you know, listen, there's compassion, right? We all, if you've been walking with the Lord for any amount of time, you realize some of the seasons of the soul that feel like we get immobilized in, we get stuck in, we don't know how to get up, we don't know how to motivate ourselves. But the danger in those seasons is that we get an identity that comes on us and we identify more with our struggle than with the God of the breakthrough, And we sit down for a moment to self-care and rest, and we get stuck. And I just saw that. And as I went up, the crowd got bigger on either side of the the line. And in this dream, I don't think I necessarily represented me. I think I represented something that God was inviting to the body of Christ. And I'm just running. And as I'm running up, I just start yelling like, come on, like, I'm not stopping, but you got to get up. Come on, we got to go. We got to go to the top. And they're just looking at me like, you have no idea how much I've been hurt. I have like justified offense in my heart. The church hurt me. People hurt me. You have no idea. And I just remember just running, running, running. I get to the top of the mountain and all of a sudden I'm standing at the top. It's just like, how did I get? I'm here. And I looked, and it was just this big plateau of land. And kind of bizarre, maybe, for some of us in the room, but in front of me was like a 15-foot-tall woman, like the height of this room. And I knew in the dream she was a witch. And I'm just looking at her like, whoa, look at this. Like, whoa. And she just kind of nonchalantly looks over at me. And I just remember the look at, like, disgust and arrogance, haughtiness, just looked at me like, I don't know how you got up here, but I could care less about you. Like, she, she ruled this plateau. And at the bottom of the mountain, before the ascending of that hill, I was terrified of this scrawny little kid with this little dagger. 
But something changed in me on the run up this mountain in the dream. I had a boldness that wasn't mine. It didn't have to do with me. It didn't have to do with my strength. It didn't have to do with something I had. I just knew who God was at that moment. And I looked at her and I said this declaration at the top of my lungs. Like, you're going to look at me like that? Do you know who I serve? And I just yelled at the top of my lungs. He's the name above every name. And she looked over me like turned. Like, do you have any idea who you're talking to? Do you have any idea? And I should have rightfully been so. So I should have been terrified in that moment. She was as tall as this room. She was massive. But something was different inside of me. And I just yelled this term. Maybe you can come up to me after service and tell me what you think it means. But at the top of my lung, I didn't even know in the dream, I knew I was getting ready to yell something and I didn't even know. It was like, almost like, and I go, and his splendor! And she shrieks and just explodes, boom! Like a movie, a million pieces. And the whole environment at the top of that mountain just changed and the presence of God was there. And I just said, oh man, something's happening. Lord, something's happening. Something is happening. And then all of a sudden I get this visual pop up right in front of me, this brick wall, like just this massive brick wall. And I'm like, what, what is this? And then boom, breaks into a million pieces. And I go, something's happening. I'm getting overwhelmed by the presence of God. And I'm just aware, like, God, you're doing something. Something got dethroned in the high place, right? Something took place. And all of a sudden, I, the ground just started vibrating, like the little rocks just. And the thousands of people that were on that path that had given up were literally just charging up the mountainside. And they were singing this funny song. Ding dong, the witch is dead. It's a dream. It's a dream. Ding dong, the witch is dead. The witch is dead. And I was just losing it on the inside of me. Who will ascend the hill of the Lord? Those who have clean hands and a pure heart. In this place of just coexisting with spiritual realities that wrestle against the purposes of God. We could see all throughout the Bible the weapons that we fight with and are carnal, but they're mighty to the tearing down of strongholds. There's a, a maturity and a strength and an authority that he wants to exercise out of the church, I believe, all over the earth, where we don't just simply coexist with spiritual influences that try to dull down, that try to cause perversion to the identity of who God is, that tries to rob a generation into the understanding of His majesty, His splendor, His authority, His name being above every other name. I know this dream messes with some theology. I'm just sharing something that I believe, however you want to make it fit your thing. For me, it's this idea that there's an authority in and through the church that wants to deal with things that are robbing the church who have given up that are so self-consumed on their own life, their own woes, their own problem, more consumed internally what's going on than they are consumed with the one who's seated above every other name. And I believe it's a prophetic promise for the church. Who's going to say yes? Who's going to shake, shake it off? The, the justified offense of our heart. The justified weariness. God is slow to anger. He's, he's abounding in love. He's rich in mercy. He's not some task. He's not, he's not far off. He draws near to our brokenness in, in, in that place. But it's up to us to say yes to him. And I believe that that's what he's doing. And I believe what we've seen over the last year, the centrality of the worth of Jesus being a gift. Being a gift to this community. Being a gift all over the earth. I just saw that Liberty University, maybe it was Josiah, put something on Facebook. They've been doing 24-7. His kids always in the chapel seeking God all over. College universities, hundreds if not thousands are just getting baptized. Around the clock adoration. Every nation of the earth right now is burning with this on earth as it is in heaven reality. It's amazing like no other time in human history we're living in a time right now where there is day and night on earth as it is in heaven. Yeah. 
exaltation, the song of the Lamb, the acknowledgement that He's the name above every name. We got to get out of the church mode. Like we show up and we sing a couple songs and, and maybe I didn't like that song too much or, or maybe I didn't like that preaching too much. It's not just about here on a, a Sunday morning. We got to be consumed with this eternal reality. We have to be. I say that with angst because I know my human condition. I know the wrestle when I leave here and I got family and, and responsibilities and work and all these things and just learning how to just do it all in the collection of an offering before him. My life is yours. I've been purchased. I'm no longer my own. Everything that you've put in my hands, it's for you. It's for your name. It's for your glory. Teach me to number my days, Lord. Teach me not to get so consumed in this earth reality that I forget the other age that will never end that we're living for. Where every tongue will confess. Every knee will bow on earth. It's more about Him than it is about us. We have to get to that place. And that's why He's releasing the gift of the knowledge of His Son, right? The spirit of wisdom and revelation that we would know Him better. That's the gift he's loosing, this bridal paradigm. I, I don't care where that message came from. Broken people all over the earth. This bridal reality. The longing for the bridegroom. This growing place of wholehearted. <coughs> Getting amped up here this morning. <laughs> this growing... It's my prayer for my family, my kids. It's my prayer for my own heart as I wrestle the spirit of this age, right? That thing that's constantly trying to dull us. We have a choice and we can live for one thing or we can live for another. It's not perfection, it's pursuit. It's a heart that bends. It's a heart that, that starts to glimpse on him and starts to touch him in his presence. And we just say, you're worth it. You know what, Lord? I don't know how to do it, but you're worth it, God. And I just give you my future. I give up the rights for my tomorrow. I give up my rights for my yesterday, that all that offense and all that stuff that holds me bound up in my own personal self-justification. God, I laid it down before you. You're a God of mercy towards me and I'm gonna be a vessel of mercy to those around me. We just need the real thing, Jesus. We just need the real thing in our hearts. And I believe he's doing it. I believe he's doing it for his namesake. For his namesake. He's preparing the earth for his coming. I believe that wholeheartedly, unashamedly, unapologetically. It's time. The middle ground is going away. We live in this cush society called America, and I get it, freedom to practice. But man, the danger is that it will lull us to sleep. Hyper-familiarity with this eternal king named Jesus with burning eyes of fire, faithfulness wrapped down him. We don't barely know him, but he's inviting us. And the place that it starts is this place. It's this bowing of our life. This will irk this has had to offend me, this message. And maybe it's offending some of this, like this is just whatever. This is hyper-religious and like whatever. I don't know. I don't even know. Maybe it's not doing that at all. But I feel that sometimes when I preach it. I feel that resistance. I feel that when I speak it out, there's just this, this wall I'm hammering against. Maybe it's in my own heart. I know that I'm just trying to bow my way into this. We started with this truth, and it has to be, and I'm not going to preach it last week's message, I promise. But this is such an important truth. I didn't read this one last week, but it's such a clear picture of it. Galatians 2.21, I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness could be gained by obedience to the law, Christ died for nothing. We're not earning our way into anything with him. He called us in brokenness. He works through us as broken vessel. He, he, righteousness is a byproduct of faith. Righteousness, if it's not there, then maybe there wasn't real salvation. That's my view on it. If we're fully giving our lives to Him, if we're fully saying yes to Him, 
nurturing and cultivating that relationship with Him on an individual level, there is going to be a changed desire, a changed heart. And the fruit will be righteousness. Righteousness not to gain grace and mercy, right? Righteousness because of grace and mercy. The pursuit of righteousness because we see Him for who He is and we keep falling forward, keep saying yes to Him. Consecrate yourselves today is the invitation not into earning something from Him, but posturing and positioning ourselves for Him to be used. The closer you get to His glory, the less this life can go with you. Few have said yes, throw history into that place of cooperation with Him. And it grieves me that so many men of God that have lived their whole life starting out so well with this message at the forefront, God forbid it from us, right? That it ends with our own effort, that it ends with our own pleasure first. You know, Paul said it for... He, was, he considered himself faultless according to obedience to the law, but he considered that nothing compared to the surpassing, surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus. It's this place of beholding, communion, fellowship. Jesus is and ought to be the first place invitation to every believer. Word, prayer, worship, it facilitates this. It's the greatest gift, this habitation, because it's, it's bringing us to first love. It should be bringing us to first love. It, it, maybe it is a, a fire because when we, when we get close to him, that's what it is. But it's, it's, supposed to, it's supposed to just quickly bring the dross up and then we start to see the benefits of spending time with him. We talked about what are we sowing to, our soul, our spirit, or our flesh. And we can see the fruit of it in our lives. And it's a good litmus test to pay attention to and to adjust where we need to adjust. What are we giving our affection to? What are we giving our conversations to? It's this place of familiarity to the fear of the Lord. It's this place of familiarity to the Lord where we just start to allow just the the flesh to have its way in our lives. And I just see that. Through some of the times, it's not just blatant sin, it's through the way we talk about other people. It's just such, you know, he talks about seven abominations in Proverbs. And you know one of the things that he counts the same as the shedding of innocent blood is slander against your neighbor. And we wrap all fancy type of spiritual language around it. I know I'm being like hard or whatever, it's too... But he counts slander in the same seven abominations to the Lord as he does as the shedding of innocent blood. We get familiar. It's the thing we need a war against. And the connectivity to the vine, this intimate, personal relationship with Jesus, first place. That helps to adjust us into the right place. Consecration starts from beholding, from time spent in intentional relationship with Jesus as priority and our desires change in the divine exchange of this intimacy. The divine, as we abide, produces fruit. We're not just made for good works. We are made for good works. We're not just made for good works. We are first and foremost made for intimacy through the Holy Spirit with Jesus in the heart and mind of the Father. If we become so set on serving, we become more mere workers. If we get so set on loving, you become willful, submitted, joyful servants who will do anything for the master. It's first place first. It's not one or the other. It's one before the other. Prayer is the launching pad into wholehearted, submitted partnership. And it's not prayer, that, that word, because we can even box that into an idea of what we think prayer is. It's relationship, it's, it's fellowship, it's communion, it's personal, authentic, alive reality. Not getting in a room and saying words, that's not what I'm saying by prayer. But prayer just encompasses that for me, so that's why I say that. But to clarify, it's about just the personal relationship that thrives in his presence because of the a divine exchange that comes from his presence. That posture that is formed in this place is humility. It's the esteeming of his ways over our own. It's the esteeming of his thoughts over our ours. The bowing of our grand idea of how great we are. The over and over embedding of the reality that all we are 
and that all we have and that all we do for him is because he is worthy of it all. Paul somehow said, you know, consider it pure joy when you go through these trials. The guy was like shipwrecked and beaten and left for dead outside the, the city walls. And he said, this is earning for me an eternal weight of glory. That's the eternal perspective. He wasn't so set on what this life was bringing to him. He was living for another age. And because he was living for another age, it mattered so much in how he engaged this age. It consumed him how he fed the church, nurtured the church, discipled the church. Because he was living for another age. He said, I wish I could go now, but there's still work to be done. Second Timothy, at the end of his life, right before he was beheaded, he says, I've done it. I've run the race. He knew. The harvest feels ripe, so we pray. All right. Not going to go long today here. I'm going to read this one segment one more time. Prayer or communion is the launching pad into wholehearted, submitted partnership to his call for us individually and corporately. It's the launching pad into the purposes of his heart. The posture that is formed in this place is humility because we see him high and lifted up and we evaluate us in comparison to who he is like Isaiah 6 did. The posture that is formed in us is humility. It's the esteeming of his ways. How can we not when we're seeing him rightly? We don't want what we got. We want what you got, eternal King Jesus. All glory to you. It's the bowing of our grand ideas and how great we think we are. The over and over embedding of that reality that all we have, all we are, and all we do is for him and he is worthy of it all. Prayer produces this posture of dependence, humility, proper perspective of God's evaluation and heart towards matters in our life. I was talking to a friend who's a pastor and he's doing this new practice in his church and I love it and we should do it. Wow, that just came out. I don't know. Yeah, Bruce. Amen. The, the cycling door of people coming with things that are real in their life. The trouble, the woes, the hardship. And just seeing kind of like the cycling door of not receiving the advice or, and this isn't, this is just for whoever it applies for, it applies for. The practice is, when they come, she, she says, what, is, what does God say? What did God say to you about it? The first question is not, you're coming to me for an answer. It's this idea of what does God say? Are you going first to your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ? Are you going to him first? Or is there an unhealthy codependence that's happening here where you just see me as some ability just to pour out your problems to? But you walk away and here we are a week later and it's the same old thing. It's the same old thing. You don't want to hear what I have to say. You need to go to Jesus first. All right. I want to talk about prayer a little bit. I love how First John uh, how he ordered some of this idea of prayer, 1 John 3, 21 and 22. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do the things that are pleasing to him. You see that? The keeping of his commandments, a, a heart that's under the sprinkling of the blood of Jesus, the conscience that is clear, not perfection, but just the, the continual coming to him and just saying, Lord, Right? If, if, if you confess your sins to him, he's faithful and just to forgive you and cleanse you of all unrighteousness. If your hearts don't condemn you and you ask anything you want from him, he will give it to you if you keep his commandments and do what's pleasing in his sight. And then in John 5.14, he expounds on it a little bit. And there's a key thing in, John, in 1 John 5. This is the confidence which we have before him, that if we ask anything according to to his will, he hears us. And if we do know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request which we have asked of him. And I believe that there is something he wants to, in a fresh way, just release. Sorry, I'm just trying to not be so intense for you guys. (sighs) 
Uh, I'm like, this mic, my knuckles are white. I'm like, <laughs> I believe there's assignments and entrustments. There's a greater level of maturity and stewardship over this prayer thing. Me and my wife want to give some more leadership to this prayer expressions here. We want to see more training and equipping and it become more about block Block filling, which I believe has been incredibly valuable to steward as a community this place, this altar of acknowledgement before him. But I believe there's more that he wants to do through it than just that. And I believe there are real assignments and entrustments from his heart. Anything that you pray in accordance to his will, he will hear you and he will do it. His eyes are towards the righteous and his ears attend to their prayers. I want to give a couple testimonies how I've seen that thing flushed out in my life over the years. Uh, when I was in Teen Challenge, uh, when I was 20 years old, OD on drugs, a complete mess, broken, broken every relationship in my, in my family, um, and God's mercy showed up one night at a party and just rescued me. That's all I can say on that. And I found myself days later walking through the doors of Teen Challenge because some drunk kid led me to the Lord. And... For real. And I showed up and I just was hungry for Jesus. I'm just like, I need a change. I don't want my life anymore, Jesus. If you want anything to do with it, you can have me. I literally couldn't have a conversation face to face with somebody at that point in my life. I was so, so bogged down. And during that time, I just used to sneak off to this room, this, this laundry room in the basement of Teen Challenge. Every time they had an opportunity to pray, I just was finding my connection with Jesus in that place. And I was like, I want to be there. And I remember we go out in front of the stores, and I'm sure some of you guys have seen it in front of Walmart, CVS is where they're handing out stuff and raising funds because it's, you know, a nonprofit and they don't get government funding. So if you see them, so I'm a direct result of the work that they do. And... Um, <laughs> And I remember this Brazilian woman walked up to me one time, probably 30 years old, oh, brand new Christian on fire for Jesus. You guys were just at my church. I love the testimonies. I just gave my heart to Jesus. Pray with me. Pray with me right now. Pray. Pray. My, my husband, he mocks me. He, he thinks this is so foolish, but Jesus is my everything. And, I, and, and I, I pray for him every day, but he just wants nothing to do with it. So I knew when she said that to him that, I felt like the Lord said, no, this is an assignment for prayer. And I took it so serious as a brand new Christian. I'm like, I'm going to pray every single day for this guy. We'll call him Joe. I forget his name now. This is 20 years ago. And so I prayed with her. She said it's done in that prayer. And I left. And I knew that night I went home. And in my prayer time, I felt it come right up. And I was like, all right. So I prayed. We go literally 9, 10, 11 months go by. Every single day I had this list of people that I would pray, that I felt like the Lord was entrusting me in the simplicity of my new faith, just took it so serious, this entrustment. God would entrust me to pray for something that he has on his mind and heart? Like the simplicity of that place, but let's never grow past that. <laughs> and literally one day, 10 months in, I'm praying in my closet and just crying out for Jesus to save Joe. And the Lord abruptly stops me and says, it's done. What? Every day? Like, what? It's done? And the burden to pray lifted? I almost felt like I'd be in, in error if I prayed for him. That's how the feeling was. Yeah. And I was just like, okay, that's awesome. All right, assignment. Lord, I took it like it was done. I had no idea, but it was so real in my heart. Two weeks later, I'm fundraising. Who walks up? Noah! And I'm like thinking, who is this lady? <laughs> oh no, do I owe this person money? <laughs> oh man. Uh, hey, you prayed for me last year. My husband, Joe, went to church two weeks ago, and there was a traveling like evangelist, and he gave his life to Jesus. He was on the altar crying, and I'm like, let's go. Let's go. It was the biggest faith builder of my life. It was just like, I believed you when you said it, Lord. Like, you made it clear. Like, you didn't just hint it to me. You, I felt like you made it clear, but thank you that somehow I crossed paths with this lady. It was a marking moment that he did on purpose in me. My sister Wesley had chikungunya. Is that what it's called? 
Chikungunya, who knows, Haiti. A, uh, something that has no treatment for it, bone crushing. Most people get it for a few days, right? Extreme fever in Haiti where there's no relief from heat. And she got it and we were hearing she's got this 100 degree fever laying on, you know, extremely uncomfortable, it's not going away. And unfortunately, some people who get it, it doesn't leave. And it looked like she was falling into that category. And so months go by, finally she comes back, she comes here, she, people are visiting. I'm telling you, every essential oil under the sun was poured on her. People were coming from far and wide. Everything in faith, I mean, she is just like, I walked in there, I'm like, whoa, Jesus is in the house. Oregano, really, why? Because everything else didn't work in the essential oil world, not as Ken. So, and, <laughs> and anyway, she was, it was rough. She would have to get help to go to the bathroom. She, you know, she was 20 year old, Girl in her 20s, a missionary to the mission field, not thinking about marriage and family building, all these things. She was willingly giving her life to Jesus, and this thing came, and she was under a lot of pain. You guys, a lot of you probably prayed for her. And uh, I remember we, would, we moved to this new house on Lake Street, and uh, every morning we'd get up, and I'd pray. Six o'clock in the morning is just like the practice, and Elijah started coming. And he's, I don't know, he's like 16, he's probably eight years old. And every morning I'd look at him and I'd just say, Elijah, what do you want to pray for this morning? And without fail, every single morning, he would say, let's pray for Auntie Wesley. So we would pray simple prayers. He would, Lord, please heal her. Heal her, Lord. You're the only one who can do this. Heal her. Heal her. So we literally go months. People, we had people start showing up in these mornings. My kitchen is awesome. And without, without fail, Elijah's first prayer desire on the heart of an eight-year-old kid was to pray for his Aunt Wes. And one day... Randomly, we go in there, and we, what do you want to pray? Pray for Auntie Wesley. I said, all right, let's pray. So we start praying, and I hear the Lord say, I'm going to give Wesley joy today. So I say to Elijah, I just heard the coolest thing. I think she's going to have some relief today. I just heard him say, he's going to give her joy. And when the words came out of my mouth, joy manifested right there in that moment. And we just looking at each other. I remember me and my son just laughing. Like, yeah. So we had faith to believe he was going to give joy. And we just thought this is great. Like, she's going to have some relief. The poor girl's been going through eight months of this. We go about our day. That afternoon, all of a sudden, texts start piling in. This video of Wesley running the streets in New York. <laughs> and, I mean, I'm not pointing to our prayers. I mean, there was literally hundreds of people praying, but for my eight-year-old son to see this direct answer to his prayer and resulting in the Lord saying, it's finished, basically. I'm going to give her joy today. We didn't know what that meant, but then she got healed, and I bring Elijah in, and I'm crying. I'm like, Elijah, Elijah, come see this, and he's like, what? And I just clicked the video, and to see my little eight-year-old son going like this in the kitchen, <laughs> literally. It was just the entrustment of prayer in the simplest form, and the Lord in his perfect timing, according to his perfect will, decided to do what only he could do. One day I was walking out to, all right. Well, what time do we usually go to, honestly? Is it 12? 15 minutes good? Oh, one, yes. Okay, we'll cut it down to, we need some sanctification here. We're going 20. <laughs> I got the mic. No, just kidding. <laughs> I just want to share a couple more testimonies. They're encouraging, I believe. One was, I was walking, we had a, something called Freedom House of Prayer, and we were meeting on this third floor of this church, and a small group of people, a bunch of guys would show up and go into these meetings. They were just little rumbles, just hungry People climbing, I don't know what it was, 32 stairs. We'd have a 100-year-old woman come up in there, the oldest lady in Salem. She would show up in this prayer meeting. But um, one day I walked out on a Saturday morning, and I just was kind of rhetorically saying to the Lord, what do you want to pray about tonight? It's Saturday morning. What do you want to pray? And I heard that one of those little phrases, it's the year of the prodigal. I said, okay, well, we'll talk about prodigals. We'll pray for prodigals to return. I go into the prayer meeting that night, and... I noticed there's an unusual environment of the Holy Spirit in the room. Everybody's instantly engaged. Everybody's in a grace. There's just something happening. I'm looking around like, this is pretty amazing. 
Um, and then I start noticing organically people, oh no, I did share. I felt like the Lord said halfway through worship that it's gonna be, this is a year of prodigals and people instantly just start diving into praying for their loved ones, groaning. I mean, there was a pastor's wife, Susan of Del Noah, on the ground just crying out for her son, Nick. Uh, my sister Emily, literally prostrate on the ground, pounding the ground for my brother Zach. Save him! Save him! Rescue him! Break it! The addiction, like going after, like hard, hard contending for people. And I'm just in amazement, and I'm just like, something's happening, something's happening. And all of a sudden, I see Nick Abdelnor, for the first time, walk up into the prayer room, the kid who she's crying out for, and she's not doing that mode anymore. She's just on the ground crying, literally pile of tissues in front. And he's rubbing her back as she whispers prayers for him, not knowing it's him. It was a sign that what the Lord said that morning was true. And the next week, my brother Zach shows up. Oh, my gosh. And he was in some trouble during that time. And he shows up for a second week. He shows up for a third week. So I'm like, all right. And in the second and third week, he's charging the whole room for evangelism. <laughs> and how him and his friend Danny are challenging each other who can witness to the most people on the streets in Manchester in a one-hour period. That was like their competition. And so I said, Zach, tell us what's happened, man. You're coming in here all fired up every week. What's going on? He's like, well, it's interesting. Three weeks ago, I was sitting in my apartment high on drugs. And I just knew I had to go to church the next morning. And I'm thinking my mind instantly goes back to Emily on the ground, pounding, crying his name out. And he showed up to the crossing. That was the church he came to, the crossing. And it just turned into this life, this lifestyle of pursuit of God for this period. And it was one of the, the best things I can look back as he's passed away now on his life, this moment of just him walking in fullness and the joy and love of Jesus. And that night, there was another, there was, there was another couple of testimonies. Teen, uh, Nick at Delnor, that night, handed me a pack of drugs. Said he I just heard him, his, my, his mom just sent me, he was preaching at his church. And his, he said, involuntarily, I took a pack of drugs out of my hand. and goes, no, I don't know what I'm doing, but I can't get off these. He ends up giving me the pack of drugs. Two days later, he's in the doors of Teen Challenge. He's given his whole life to Jesus and he's serving in ministry at his church. Just preached at his church a couple of weeks ago. His mom, here are the prodigals. Last testimony, it's a good one. I was going to this church at the time, some years ago, and I was working at this uh, chimney company, great chimney company called Crown Chimney. And uh, there was this, this guy who, who owned the company, Brian. He was a wild man. He'd be the guy in here on a Sunday morning praising. He'd have a 45 on his hip, just like, you just felt safe, man. I don't know. Tatted on. He's a big Harley guy. I don't know. I liked it. And uh, just a raw group. We'd wake up every morning. We'd go out to this thing called the hut, and we would pray and just, you know, just pray for all the customers and everything. And one day, me and this kid, Wayne McIntyre, some of you guys know, we started working there. And he was, he was in an interesting place in his life at the time. And I was just every day just working with him, worship music going, conversations. And we show up to this lady's house. She opens the door, and instantly she's complaining about pain in her body. She goes, like, tells me her life story in five seconds. Couldn't even say hello. I have chronic fatigue, uh, dis chronic fatigue disorder. My hip's out of alignment. I can't leave the house. If I do, I get sick, and I'm just in misery. I haven't left the house in so long. And... So I'm like, oh, okay, so we go to, then she shows us a fireplace. I'm like, oh, cool story. You know, like, wow, that's a lot, you know, going on. So I'm thinking, how can I pray for her? How can we talk? And as I'm fixing the fire, or looking at the fireplace, I start having this uneasy feeling, like there's a spiritual environment in our house, and I'm like, this is the root right here. There's something going on here that's, that's gross. That's not good. And so I, after we do the fireplace, I find some damage. I say, we need, a, you know, here's a quote to do some work. Um, but can I ask you a weird question? She's like, yeah, sure. I'm like, what do you believe? What's your faith system like? And it's almost like she knew I was going to ask it. She's like, oh, interesting you asked. But I pray to my dead grandmother for health and healing in my life. And I'm thinking, lady, it's not working. You are miserable. Like, and I had sympathy towards her. And I just said, well, listen, can I tell you something? I believe something. I believe that Jesus is God, and I believe he can heal your body right now. 
And she just looks at me like, I think she knew what I was talking about. And all of a sudden, the garage door, you hear it going up. And she looks at me, she goes, my husband was offended at the church. Don't mention anything about Jesus. Her husband walks to the door, and I'll just stand there. I'm like, <laughs> like, what? Like, what? I wanted to blurt out Jesus so bad in that moment. But I just looked at her, and I said, all right, so here's the proposal if you want to do any work. And I just kind of whisper on the way out, like, I'm praying for you. I get in the work truck. I get in the work truck. <laughs> yes. I get in the work truck and the Lord whispers to me and says, I want you to fast for, and I just knew, 14 days. And I'm thinking in my mind, I literally have people in my life that I'm not doing that for, that are personal. I'm like, all right, Lord, if that's you, confirm it to me, please. I say it to Wayne, I say, man, I feel like he's, he's like, you're crazy. Like, don't eat food, what's, like, what is that? And so, anyways, I said, confirm it by the end of the day. I go about my business. The Lord doesn't say anything. I kind of forget about it. And I... My sister Wesley's in town from Brazil at the time, and she's sharing a message at my mother's house, just an update of what's going on. And my friend Joe Robinson, some of you guys know him, the week before it said to me in church, came over to me at the high school and said, no, I got a word for you. And then started to pray and said, never mind, it's not for right now. And I was like, you can't do that, bro. Just tell me. Stop being weird. Like, you got to just tell me the, no, man, I just felt like the Lord told me to stop. And I'm like, hyper, this is like, come on, that's ridiculous. So anyways, fast forward a week, the end of the day, Wesley's sharing, we're all sitting there, it's like 11 o'clock at night, the day's over, I'd forgotten about it, and it's me, Wesley, and Joe, and that's it. And Joe looks over at me, goes, hey, it's time to tell you that word. And I said, oh yeah, awesome, what's the word? God's calling you on an extended fast. Whew. And in that moment, I'm telling you, the level of faith that rose in my heart I knew there was going to be a cost and a sacrifice that was associated with that fast, but I just knew that type of confirmation in the same day was huge to me. And so I went into work the next day, said, guys, there's this lady, I'm called to fast 14 days in the morning in this thing called the shack, we're going to pray every day for her, for her healing, her salvation. He goes, oh, is she the lady in Auburn? I said, yeah. She called to schedule the work. We'll make sure you go back to do the job. Go in, talk to Dina, find out what day it is, tell Dina to put you on the schedule so you can go back. I go in 14 days to the day, I'm going back. Happenstance. I know the Lord's in it. I'm fired up. I'm like militant at this point. Like this is an assignment. God, this is your, your love for this woman and we're gonna go after. So we, we battled and there was... So, like we kicked a bee's nest is what, is what it was like. My, my children were waking up every night with night terrors to the point nothing would soothe them. Every single night, just dreams of crazy things through my house, uh, bizarre sicknesses on the side of the road where Pete, my wife and I get picked up, brought to the hospital, bizarre stuff. To the point where on day like 12, I told the Lord sitting on my bed, I said, God, I can't do this. Nothing's happened to me and it's not fair. My children, my wife, everybody's feeling the tension of this, but me, like, like this is not right. And Amy said, just hold on. Just let's pray. And I remember putting her hand on my back. Who remembers Jason Upton? That's not that old, I guess. Yeah, right. And um, she said, I just feel this song coming in. No, there's grace to finish this well. The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. So I was like, all right, if she's giving me the thing for this to keep going. Let's do it. I go in, I tell with frustration to the guys, listen, we need to pray. My Elijah woke up again for two hours, would not stop screaming like somebody was hurting him. Like, I'm so sick of this. And they get around me and Brian and his big burly self gets over me and he's like, I feel a song coming on. The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. And I'm like, oh, my wife said that last night. Let's go. Go. <laughs> I just love Jesus, you know, even, he's just crazy he, how he works. He's not crazy. He's awesome how he works. And I wake up and I randomly open, the morning we're going to our house, I randomly open the scriptures to Daniel 10 and it says, the first words I read, it says, the day you set your face before the Lord and prayed your prayer, he answered you. The first day he answered, but I got held up. There was a wrestle that needed to take place for me to come and bring this message to you. 
And it was just this place like your 14 days of 14 days of fasting and praying, all you guys, has been clearing the airways, opening up an effectual door for the gospel to meet this woman. So Wayne McIntyre, we're driving in. He's eating burgers every day next to me, laughing at me like, you are out of your mind. Doesn't this look so good? Like, I love Wayne. And I just said, you wait. We get there. This timidity comes on me. I'm almost done here. This timidity comes on me, and I feel like, oh, man, this is going to be so awkward. What am I going to tell her that I fasted for 14 days for you, and I don't even know you? Like, that's going to be a very weird conversation. And she opens the door and says to me, I'm having the worst day. I'm going to bed. Check's on the counter. When you're done, just lock the door behind you. And that was like a relief. And I was like, well, Wayne, you know, the Lord's ways, you know, are not our ways. It almost felt like, but as we were doing the job, I felt this discontentment. No, we didn't go through all this for her to be up in her bed, in the sick bed. God, there is an effectual door over her life opened and I want to walk through it. Sure enough, as we're filling out the final paperwork, she comes walking down and she pays me and I look at her and I said, hey, Cindy, can I tell you something? What's that, Noah? Last 14 days, I've been fasting and praying for you. And I want you to know Jesus loves you enough that he would ask a random person. She knew what fasting was right off the bat. She just starts bawling. Every guard was down, every wall was down. And this environment fills the kitchen. I wish Wayne was here to talk about this environment because his experience was, I almost fell into this china cabinet. I've experienced God before, but not like what was in that room. Something special met her that day. And she's bawling and she's bawling. And I said, listen, he's after you. He wants you. There's no special prayer. I want you just to talk to him. That was in my heart to say to her. And she just starts confessing. Her immediate response was to say, sorry, Lord. She knew the gap between her and him. She said, Lord, forgive me that I mocked my grandmother because she always told me about you. The one she had been praying to for healing. Sorry for mocking her and I lost her and I never could talk to her. Sorry, Lord, that I mocked her. Thank you for this young man. God, thank you. Forgive me. And this thing started rising in me. And I just looked at her and I remember there was two or three things that we were gonna take the authority over and we took it over. And literally after this moment, my head was on the kitchen counter, laying down like this on the, I was sitting down at the kitchen table and I was groaning like a maniac because of the Lord's presence in this room. We look up, her countenance is completely changed. She looks like a new person. The first thing she wants to do is go get her 13-year-old son playing Xbox upstairs and tell her that tell him that she just gave his life, her life to the gospel. He comes down, he's kind of annoyed. He's playing like Fortnite, oh, whatever. And she's like, he's been praying and fasting. Oh, you've been fasting. Here, eat this scone. Are you crazy? Eat this muffin, Noah. You look terrible. We pray for her, we leave. I'm on cloud 20. And Wayne is like blown away at what he experienced that day. I'm blown away at what he experienced that day. Two weeks later, I bring back a Bible with her name on it. She looks at me and she's a new person. She's found a church. She's going to a church. Me and Wayne just look at her, give her this Bible. And she says, Noah, I've left the house for the first time in two years. I got no more fatigue. I got no more hip displacement. God healed me that day. I can't thank you. And I just said, man, thank God Joe confirmed the word in me because I didn't just take it for what it was when Jesus whispered. And the question is here to us to wrap this up. Are we willing to hear his voice when he calls to us? Are we willing to count the cost? There is grace and empowerment. We want these testimonies. I know I want these testimonies but many times the way into the impossible realm is a, is a cost. It's a laying down of our lives. It's a laying down of our time and our whatever. Whatever he asked for, we're giving it to him. And I want to see him out of this posture. And I want to say to anyone here that just feels like they're connected to this prayer thing, I want to build a team around this to steward it. 
And I want you to come find me and we're going to have a meeting at my house and we're going to find a way to strengthen it. We're going to find a way to give language to it, to hear the voice and heart of God for it, to receive his assignments, his divine instruction, to get informed intercession from his heart like a strike team to loose his his verdict, to legislate from his heart. Amen. (laughs) So if that's you, come find me. So Lord, we bless you. We love you. And again and again, God, we just say we want you. For your name's sake, exalt the Son in New England. For your name's sake, exalt Jesus. Exalt Him over this land. God, let every eye see Him. God, let every heart, God, be soft and know Him and understand Him, Jesus. Loose that spirit of wisdom and revelation in a powerful way, God, that would break through every delusion, every lie, every deception of the enemy's camp over this land, God. Open effectual doors for the gospel over New England. Open effectual doors for the gospel over New England. In Jesus' name, amen. I just really feel like God's hands on Noah here. Just, it, it's, it's, it's a powerful word of what can happen when we surrender our hearts to the living God to be able to use us to shift things and break things open. And I, I want to just, all of us, open our hearts. We're all at different places. Some of you haven't been part of the prayer movement. Some of you have lost your even desire to pray at home with expectancy and faith. It's a burden to you. And so wherever you are, whether it's your prayer would be like your impartation would be to step into a 15-minute daily prayer time with God where you receive his word and pray, or whether you're being enlisted as a special assignment to be able to break in and just like say, God, I will. I'll pay the price. I don't have much energy, but I'm, I'll do it. I'll do it. You can... We'll deal with that later. On the way, you can, as I step in out, walking after you, you'll sustain me and give me what I need to do what you're calling me to do. I have that faith. Wherever you are, open your heart and and receive. I really believe God's going to, I want you to pray just a release over the, the whole house of people and hearts that they would just that we would just receive because I'm telling you, the thing that's going to break this community into the whole place of growth and harvest and and life transformation, it's going to be through an encounter with the living God where he sparks hearts and then joins hearts together and as one community, we begin to release the manifold wisdom of God to principalities and powers. I truly believe this. But it, it can't, we can't muster it up. We need the, the living God. We can obey. So, I mean, there's, there's that tension. Like, we can't just say, oh, well, if the Lord wants it. No. There is a maturity that he's calling us into where we cooperate and are led as sons and daughters of the living God. And we step out. And he meets us. And he does his work 100%. 100% God. 100% man, right? And so... It's the only way that this is going to happen. He's going to use this church, and he's going to breathe into individual lives. They're going to, they're going to collide like an like a atomic fusion, fission, whatever that is, and it's going to release a byproduct of reflection of God from heaven, reflection, manifestation of the supernatural living God that strikes the earth and breaks up darkness and brings down strongholds. So anyway... Just if you'd release that, and then I just, just I want you to just receive whatever it is in your heart where God is like kindling the fire that is going to just, whatever that next place is, just receive it. And let's just, let's just say, God, more of you, less of me. Just, it is time. Ignite that fire in my heart. Come on. Ray and Janice Taylor sent me a video of a big conference happening out in Colorado. Well-known prophet, thousand people, and he's in the middle of praying for something separate, and he gets on the mic, and he says, it's called the 222 conference, and literally at the two-hour mark, two two minutes, just ridiculous, right? Two-hour, two-minute, and 20-second mark, literally in this YouTube video, he gets up and says, I feel the Lord is over New England. I see him opening a door. I see him opening a door over New England. And I believed it. I heard it and I just said, I texted him and I said, I feel the rumble below our feet. 
I feel it. I feel the rumble. I feel it. There's a charging up the hill. Come on, let's stand together. Let's go before the throne of grace. Let's go before the King of glory. Let's ask him to come and step on the scene of New England and receive all glory, honor, power, and praise from this generation, from this region. So Lord, we say yes to you. We say yes to you. Maranatha, come, Lord Jesus. Come, Lord Jesus, we want you, we desire for you, we long for you, we hope for you, we expect you. Lord, there's nothing more than we want than you to come and to step on the scene. All power is yours, all glory is yours, all sovereign rule and reign and authority is yours. It's all yours for your namesake, pour out on your sons and your daughters visitation holy true habitation god come rest on those (laughs) rest on those who are laying their hearts on the altar today god who are saying yes to you who are counting the cost who are not looking behind who are who are pressing forward to the prize and hope that is found in you lord rest on them rest on them god we pray right now that that breakthrough god whatever it is lord that when you step on when you draw near everything else fades everything else fades when you draw close everything else fades everything else fades when you draw close lord everything else fades away our hopes our passions our dreams they bow before you king of glory we lift our heads before you king of glory we exalt you we welcome you we welcome you have your way in new england have your way in new hampshire have your way exalt the sun in the northeast lord we pray